Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We're in the fourth chapter of the book of Shemot. Um, and last week, the first time we met in quite some time, we went backwards a little bit, but it's actually not a bad, not, not a bad thing. We developed some momentum and we're about to read verse 10. Um, we are in this extended uh, interaction that Rashi is going to comment on in this verse as God is trying to convince Moshe to take on the mantle of leadership. In the previous verse, um, God had said, we're not going to linger on it, but just to remind us where we were, verse 9, God said, behold, if they don't believe, they, the Israelites, or maybe, as we discussed last time, the Egyptians, even to these two signs with the um, the hand and the rod, they don't heed your voice, or you take from the water of the Nile, throw it onto the ground. And the water that you take from the river, the Hayu, will be as blood on the ground. The double the Hayu led Rashi to believe that we're trying to uh, be taught, or God, the Torah is trying to teach us that the, the, um, the water was still water in his hand, however he held it, did not become blood until it hit the ground which amplifies the, um, the amplifies it from a potential magic trick to a miracle. And that will have a better time of convincing the Israelites again, or potentially the Egyptians in following it. Okay, that's where we are. And now we have Moshe's response, a very famous response that kind of sets up some of the things that we think about when we think about Moshe's leadership. So uh, let's see. Uh, Joel, do you want to read verse uh, 10? I need my kippah first. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, what chapter are we on? Four? Chapter four, verse 10. Yes. Rayomer Moshe el Adonai. Be Adonai lo ish dvarim anochi gam mitmol gam milshom mishilshom gam meaz dvarcha. Daberha el avadcha ki kvar pe, oh, kaved vad pe, ukvad lashon anochi. Good. The, uh, you're um, mistakenly for a second reading kvad pe as kvar pe is, is the very reason why the dalad at the end of echad in the Shema is larger to remind us that it's echad and not acher because dalad and resh are very similar to one another if we're looking at it quickly. Okay, see what you can do for a translation there. Okay, Moshe said to Hashem, um, um, I don't know what B is. Yeah, B, B is, a, is, a, is a biblical word like na, where yeah. it's hard to translate, but we have a sense of what it's trying to convey. It, it, it's a pleading, it's a version of please. But if you think about it, what, like what the word please means, like we use it, the way we use the word please is related to what the word means, but it, it became its own form of speech, right? And different cultures and different languages um, um, connoted the sort of polite request in different ways. So um, please is not a verb. Please is not an adjective. It's not a noun. It's a, 
it, it, it's, it's a please. It kind of stands on its own. B is one of those ways like nah. If you look at the way Uncleish translates, this is interesting. Va'amar Moshe Kadam Adonai. God said in front of, uh, Moses said in front of God, Biva'u Adonai. Ba'u is from the Aramaic good bet ayin yud, which means to request, to desire. Basically, it's saying, imir Hashem. If God wills it, if, if, if you don't mind. So, uh, Uncleish, maybe he's even making an etymological connection. I even think about that, that B and Ba'e with an ayin are similar. But even if he's not connecting it etymologically, he's saying what the B means is if, if it would please God. Okay. Okay. Bi'adonai, lo I am not a man of words. Good. Since, you know, yesterday and since the day before yesterday, um, and even before that. Um, uh, oh, oh, since you spoke to your, your um, servant. Right. Who's the servant? Himself. Right. Um, I am a man of heavy um, mouth and heavy tongue. Okay, so a lot of good stuff to unpack here, right? Let me let me kind of just go through it a bit, and then we'll see what questions people have. So, 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 so first is that that pleading language of biaruni, this really um, like ironically prescient way that Moshe describes himself as lo ishtvarim, because what does Moshe become at the end of the book? Ah, uh-huh, very funny. <laughs> it's not even funny. Ishtvarim, right? Like he 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 is the author of the book of Dvarim. So his initial moment as a leader is to say, I'm not an Ishvarim. Not only does he become a very compelling speaker, he is the primary, the, he's the only character essentially in the book of Zvarim. Gamit Mol Gam Shilshon, he's not talking about a quaint little coffee shop in Jerusalem, if you guys know the reference to Mol Shilshon. Um, these are interesting words, right? In modern Hebrew, we know that the word etmol which is Tmol plus an olive is yesterday, and Shilshom is the day before yesterday. It's kind of interesting that Hebrew has words of, of entirely different shorishes for yesterday and the day before yesterday. It's interesting that Hebrew has a word for the day before yesterday, whereas in English, we just say the day before yesterday. Also in Hebrew, sorry, also in the future, Machar is tomorrow and Mochrotayim is um, the day after tomorrow. That makes more sense. It's Machar times two, right? Regel Raglayim. Yad Yadayim, Machar Machrotayim. If you know the Naomi, Naomi, Shimmer, Naomi Shimmer song, Machar, Ulanafliga Basvinot, and the chorus is, Bimadlo Machar, Bimazlo Machar, Bimazlo Machar, Machrotayim. If not tomorrow, peace will come two days from now. When it comes to going backwards, it's two entirely different words that was created from biblical sources like this, which does not necessarily mean in context yesterday or the day before. We don't know what it means. The, the uh, ascribed meaning over time is that it's referring to the previous two days of existence, neither or both yesterday, also from the day before that, perhaps. How did you translate that phrase? After he said, I'm not the man of words, neither yesterday nor the day before yesterday. What does that last phrase mean? And, and also since the time you spoke to me. Right. And I'm setting this up to kind of um, to prime the pump for Rashi. It's as if it's saying, I wasn't a man of words yesterday, God. I wasn't a man of words the day before that. Nor was I, day of the wor- nor was I a man of words from when you've been talking to me. So hold on to that interesting triplicate, okay? Um, and, when he, and, he, and in the classic biblical way of doing polite language, he refers to himself in the third person 
as the um, as God's servant from all the time that you've been speaking to your servant. And now a second way of describing his speech impediment. He's not a man of words. And not only that, but a man of heavy tongue and a heavy uh, mouth. Right. And that word kvad is very interesting, right? So again, we translate it into English as heavy. Kavod also means honor, right? Um, it means um, something of substance. So we have this problem every single time. And so it's, it's, it's worth going into it. Do we know that when we say the word heavy in English, we're, um, we're, ha- we're conveying the same meaning that kvad meant back then? Even if so, what does it mean to be of heavy uh, mouth and heavy tongue? And what does it mean to be of both? Why are they dubbered? doubled um i see someone put something in the chat rebecca let me just read that right um the while we don't know um there's no obvious like to 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 a regular hebrew speaker there's no obvious etymology to tmol um aside from our knowing it means yesterday we can't pull out from that something that's recognizable it's possible that shilshom is connected to shalosh right three mornings ago including this morning very good okay um let's pause here questions anyone have any questions on the verse again we're in question mode not answer mode based on what joel has read and how we translated it rick um hi um the beginning there um switching from the yud he vav he to aleph dalad nun yud um is there um is there a more personal touch to actually writing it out with the aleph dalad nun or is there anything there? I'm just asking. Um, and then the second one is Chavar um, and Chavad. Um, just getting through that, those few words. If you were slow of speech, that's a real tongue twister. So I just, <laughs> just thought I'd bring that up. But um, um, And Chavad, uh, when Pharaoh's heart is heavy and, and uh, hard-hearted, it's Kaved, right? It's the same... Uh, it's the same root there. But anyway, uh, is there anything to Adonai changing from yud heh uh, oh, And are there other places where B happens in the Torah? I can't think of any, as opposed to Na. Right. So so good questions. Let's leave them as questions. Like How, how common or uncommon is B? Um, the, your, your comment that the the verse in which Moshe identifies himself as having a hard time speaking would be a hard verse to say or lane. It's very, it's very chunky um, and good. Right. We, um, uh, just to point out without, without our having a definitive answer, we go from Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, pronounced Adonai to Aleph, Dad, Nun, Yud, pronounced Adonai within two words. What, if anything, are we supposed to do with it? Good. Let's leave those questions in the air. Joanna, then Norm and Rachel. Two things. One is the other thing that strikes me in the beginning of the verse about, um, you know, not yesterday, not the day before, and not when God is speaking to me, is that those three things are not in chronological. You would have expected, you know, a more logical order to me would have either been to start not from when you spoke to me, not yesterday, not the day before, or not the day before, not yesterday, and not now when now. So I think, I mean, you were hinting that, you know, we're going to get to the Rashi and that, that to me also highlights the unusualness uh, um, of that phrase. And um, Joanna, your audio went in and out a few times there. Can you, can you say that those four sentences in one sentence 
to make sure you understand all of it? Because I, I think I missed the key point, at least of the last piece you were saying. So my key point is that those three phrases about the times when he has not been in each Devarim are not in chronological order. We would have expected them in chronological, or I think it would have been more logical for them to be in chronological order. To start with now when Don is talking to me, say yesterday and the day before, or start with the day before yesterday and now Don when you're talking to me now. And it's not in that order. It's in reverse chronological order, maybe, but it's not in chronological order. Got it. Okay. No, I don't even think it's reverse chronological order because it's yesterday, the day before yesterday, and now. That's not even reverse. It well, would... unless me'az da'bercha elavdecha means, and again, this is, I'm, I'm influenced by Rashi without giving it, without, you know, spoiler alert, yesterday, the day before yesterday, in fact, the entire time we've been talking together which might suggest even earlier than the day before yesterday, which is what gives Rashi. Let, let, let's wait till we get to Rashi for that. But, it's, right, it's, but it's not clear what, what, what point in time Me'az Dabircha Alavdecha is referring to. Okay. Okay. I, I read this and maybe I'm wrong that like from the burning bush until now, we, we've been in one continuous conversation, but I, right. I could be wrong in that read. No, you're, you're, so you're, you're right in the sense that that does seem to be the simplest shot, which is what makes Rashi's comment coming up more interesting, surprising, and fantastical, right? If you, if you just interviewed 999 readers of the last six verses of Torah and say, how long has this taken, this entire scene taken, you would say about 10 minutes, right? Um, so, so hold that thought. Good. Go ahead. Okay. And the other thing also is, you know, when I read Lo Ish Devarim and I try to shut off my brain from all the Midrashim that I've learned about Moses, Lo Ish Devarim to me reads as a person not eloquent with words, you know, not a, not a poet, not a, you know, a fantastic author who can, you know, eloquently string together words. And um, so, you know, it's, it's just interesting all the, that have developed on uh, that, you know, the speech impediment that he had, because it's not clear to me that the shot of low each Devarim is necessarily someone with a speech impediment. I'm smiling because I'm saying, you're right. It's not at all clear to me that the Midrash is the shot, right? <laughs> Which is what makes Midrash so interesting. I, I, I'm sure most, many of the people on the Zoom are familiar with it, but but since you hinted at it, give us the two-sentence Midrash to which you're referring and that most people are thinking about. Um, that um, Moshe, at one point in his youth, touched cold to his mouth, and that's what gave him a speech impediment. Right, and he touched coals to his mouth. Um, the, there's, there are many versions of this Midrash, both in, in Midrash and in, and in Talmud, that, um, that Pharaoh suspected something about Moshe, that when, you're, when you have um, full power and hegemony over a nation, you're always concerned about who's going to try to usurp it. Here is this baby that your daughter has brought into the palace. What if he's a usurper? And we will know something about, like minority report, we'll know he's going to be usurping, but based on his character as a baby, and Pharaoh puts in front of him a gem and a burning coal. And if he's gonna, the baby's going to reach for the gem, it's going to mean that he's, a, he's, const, he's after the power and the, and, the, and the wealth. And he's about to. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu, through an angel, moves um, 
Moshe's hand, instead of reaching for the gem, he reaches for the coal, he puts it in his mouth and he burns it. Interestingly, it doesn't burn his hand, but it, like he doesn't become Dumbledore, but he burns his mouth. Um, and that's this elaborate, it's actually, it's elaborate. It takes longer to describe it than to read it. It's probably a two-line midrash, but it's an elaborate way of the Talmud trying to create the backstory for this verse and a backstory which indicates that God had his eyes set, had God's eyes set on Moshe from the very beginning, that there was an encounter almost prophesied by Pharaoh correctly between Moshe and Pharaoh, um, and that the very thing that, um, that, that that Moshe is worried about in terms of the upcoming encounter with Pharaoh is, is true because God designed it for it to be true, but God designed it so that Moshe would not be executed as a baby. So it's a really a, a, an elaborate Aesop fable in that regard, and not necessarily shot. Um, I'm going to turn your last line into a question, which is, it sounds silly to ask, what does lo ishtvarim anochimi? What is the simplest way of understanding what someone would mean when they would say in Hebrew, lo ish tvarim amochi, anochi, I'm not a man of words. Is it vocabulary? Is it fluidity of speech? Is it um, uh, the, the, a lack of stuttering, which I realized uh, perhaps Freudian, I stuttered as I was trying to say. Um, what does that phrase actually mean? Uh, Everett Fox uh, doesn't help us in the sense that he translates it quite literally. He says, no man of words am I. But no man of words am I is also begging the question, what does that actually mean? So we know the we know what the Hebrew words mean, but it could mean a lot of things in terms of what Moshe is self-identifying. Excuse Great. me, I, I don't have a hand function, so I'm, I'm, I'm muting. Uh, um, a prophet, by definition, is a, a communicator of, of God's words and um, Moshe is claiming he's not a communicator okay so if what I'm being expected of is to transmit your words God as a clear communicator you've got the wrong person that's a possibility great Norm Rachel and then Elon I wanted to address the supposed doubleness of God speaking to Hashem and starting off his talk with be Adonai, um, because in the first one, the introductory phrase, the Torah is telling us who Moshe is speaking to. Moshe says to God, um, and then what does Moshe say? He's not necessarily yet on a first name basis with God, so he refers to him as my Lord, just as he has been speaking of himself as your faithful servant. He speaks to him in this third-person way. Um, people who speak to the president, certainly if we say, you know, what did you say to President so-and-so, you're going to give the name. What did you say to President Biden? And what I said was, Mr. President, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and the same thing would apply with any noble in history, I think, any aristocrat that an ordinary person or a lower status person might be addressing. Thank you for that. I, I wanted to ask about uh, Kavad, that uh, root and its connotations. Joel translated it as heavy, and the text usually refers to slow. And I'm, I don't know enough about connotations of various um, Hebrew terms 
to know what else could be read into that word. Great. So uh, uh, it might be interesting to note a couple of things in response to that of what Uncle S does in this uh, in this verse. It's always interesting to me when there's two words, when a word appears more than once in the same sentence or set of sentences, and Uncle S, who, again, considers himself, as far as we can tell, a translator, not a commentator, translates it into two different Aramaic words. We've seen that not often, but occasionally. So look what he does here. Um, we already started the Uncle List. Let's pick up La Gavard de Milul Ana. I am not a man of, here it's singular, of word, of speaking. Af me at male, neither from yesterday. Interesting, Uncle S does not use a technical Aramaic term for the day before yesterday. Maybe there, maybe it doesn't exist. I don't know. He just turns it into from before that, neither yesterday. Af me de kadmohe, from Kedem, from before that. A generic term for what happens before, not a technical specific term. Af me idan, even from the time, dimalelta im abdach, from when you started speaking to your servant. And now we have the phrase that you're asking about. Um, Rachel, we have in Hebrew, chvad peh chvad lashon, right? Uncle is translates into yakir mamlal. Yakir in Aramaic has the same double meaning as kvad does in Hebrew. Yakir means precious, honor, right? Like yakar urvuta in, um, in, uh, in the song Yari Bon. Yakar means something that is honorable and, uh, and precious. And it also can mean in Aramaic, straight, heavy, something which is heavy or ponderous, right? But the second time Chafad comes up in Aramaic, uh, in Hebrew, Uncle translates as amik. So what does amik mean? Amik sounds like, and is similar to amok. I'm going to show this to you because I had it pulled up anyway. Um, so if you look at what Jastro says on amik, um, deep like amok, but also faint and light-shaded, and also obscure, indistinct, profound. So somehow Uncleus is saying one of these kfads means yakir, heavy. And one of these kfads means amik. And, you know, choose your, choose your own adventure. Which, which of these potential meanings of amik in Aramaic was Uncleus using? Indistinct, indistinct speech, possible. Obscure speech, possible. It's different than speech impediment, right? It almost seems to be like and uh, a lack of ability to communicate with good words, which is different than the speech impediment that the Midrash uh, tries to form the background for. Okay? So the best way for me to respond to your question, Rachel, is who knows? Right? Who knows what Kfad meant then? Who knows if our attempt to turn it into heavy makes sense? Who knows if this is a speech impediment in terms of producing words? Um, Buber famously says that it's interesting that Moshe's main task in life is to transmit the word of God to humanity. And we, he's introducing himself as a person who lacks that very ability. So there's a lot of kind of layered irony in this scene um, that is fueled by some of the questions about what the words actually mean. Uh, good. Elon. Yeah, I find the, the Midrash somewhat disturbing because it, it is an attempt by the rabbis to kind of uh, let Moses off the hook. It's, it's way easier to attribute his issue to a physical issue as opposed to the one that I get from the text, which is a psychological issue, right? He's struggling 
uh, internally with his, uh, it's not the fact, there's nothing here that says that he cannot do it physically. He can't do it emotionally and psychologically. And I don't, I'm not sure I understand why the rabbis felt it necessary to make it a, um, a physical thing as opposed to an emotional and psychological thing. Right. And, and it was a choice, right? Because first of all, and I, and I know you know this, that they wouldn't have understood the notion of psychology, but they definitely understood the notion of, 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 an, of an internal reality and a, and a self-identity. And, and what did, were they more moved by the language of the verse? Is, is, is the engine of that drash, that midrash, that fable, the word kvod, or is the engine of it what they, the sermon they wanted to give? And I identify with that. When I speak on Shabbat morning, is what's driving what I'm saying. The particular, this, really the specific problem I have in the verse, and I'm trying to resolve it sometimes, or is what's driving what I'm saying, the message I want to share, and I found a hook. I go both ways, and sometimes I meet halfway in the middle. So the rabbis really want to envision uh, an encounter where Moshe is being protected by God, even as an infant, and they found a way in. Ah, we got a way. Or they said, what does the word kvad mean? It must mean that his tongue didn't operate properly. Well, why could that be? Ah, I have an answer. So we don't know because we don't have a we don't have a midrash on a midrash. Or if we do, right, there are commentaries on midrash. It doesn't mean that the commentaries are accurate. We could have you know it goes on infinitum. We could have a midrash on a midrash on a midrash. But, but even, I, even even though they don't have the notion of psychology, which I agree, they must have experienced themselves a nervousness in speaking publicly uh, sure. that was not attributed to a physical disability, right? So the notion of of fearfulness of speaking publicly or speaking to an authority figure can't be something that was unknown to them. Right. So it's why I I just, like I said, it, to me, it's, it's way more compelling and and makes me relate to Moses more by saying, you know what I had, I, there's a difficult situation that you're putting me in God and I'm uncomfortable with that. It's not something that's, that's within my comfort zone. I can relate to that. It's much more relevant to me than saying, Oh, he touched a piece of coal and burnt his tongue. Because that the first one happens to all of us. The second one, well, I, I have never touched a piece of coal and burnt my tongue. <laughs> That's fascinating, Elon, because to try to dip back into what the rabbis of the tradition's lives really were, and remember that they were all also different from each other, right? So the, the author of that midrash is not was not was not necessarily representative of the whole rabbinic class. Um, maybe that rabbi was uncomfortable with this particular type of speaking discomfort. And it was easier for that rabbi to imagine it was a physical impediment that God could snap God's fingers and get Moshe over than imagining Moshe feeling nervous, feeling unworthy, perhaps, we don't know, but it's, but it's, it's interesting investigation in our minds. Uh, Richard, Renee, Rebecca, and then we'll go back to Joel and actually read this Rashi, which we've been hinting at. Um, hi. Uh, on the word anochi, um, it's, uh, I mean, along the lines of what Alan was saying, that um, it's, a, it's a psychological thing, not a, 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 an actual vocabulary thing, because if he was a simple person, he would have said ani. Uh, anochi is a, is a more elevated, it's a different kind of word for I. Um, I'm thinking of like the Ten Commandments. It starts anochi. I used to tell the kid, "Why is it anochi instead of ani?" It's it's God's way of saying I. Ah, it's 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 a different kind of uh, 
uh, uh, words, but here Moses uses it. Um, and um, it's kind of a poetic way of saying it, uh, I think. Uh, um, but anyway, um, it's kind of like Yoda speak, uh, uh, not a man of words, am I? But, but right. that, it, it sounds very poetic to me. It's not like I am not. It, 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 it's the other way. So Moses is saying that he doesn't have words, but he's using fancy words. He's using anochi instead of ani. And he's he's speaking in a poetry kind of way, not just a, a normal common person speaks. So good. And I like the fact that Everett Fox preserves that when he translates it as no man of words, am I? Because the am I comes at the end of the phrase. I know he comes at the end. And it, it is poetic or as the way the people or the way, the way they spoke then. Uh, Renee. Well, I agree with Elon. I think that it is more of a psychological than a physical. But I think that the physical part Making it physical is easier to also bring in the fact that um, Aaron then had to step in and assist him by making it physical. Um, the other two things that keep kind of nudging at me, and I'm not sure how they're really quite connected, but uh, is the other meanings of that same uh, word, kaved, uh, kaved um, in terms of honor and also the actual food liver. Yeah, uh, so... It's, it's a body part too. And um, I have no idea if, if that's uh, an etymological connection. There are three letter Hebrew roots that are not, that are the exact same um, sequence of letters, but are actually from different origins. And I don't know why kaved um, uh, means an internal organ, the liver, and also heavy and, uh, and potential, and also, um, you know, precious. But it's, but you're right. So was, you know, was Hashem honoring him by, by mentioning the fact that he had this so-called disability, and so Aro needs to s- step in. Was it, you know, a, a, a place of honor as far as God was concerned? Right, right. And Rashi's going to get to Aaron in this uh, scene as well. Good, Rebecca, and then back to Joel. Um, I had a question. Uh, I don't know if anyone brought this up, um, but... The word kaved is, is, is repeated here, but the word lashon also has two meanings, right? It's the tongue, but also the tongue as in um, a language. And I'm wondering if, I looked up in the in Migdal Bavel in that story, that word is not used. It's the, the word is safa, but I'm worried, wondering if somewhere else lashon is used as a language, and then the repetitiveness makes kind of sense. He's talking both about the physical, but also about his ability to to speak uh, coherently. Great. So both what Rebecca's pointing out is that both primary, ancient, and modern Hebrew words for language are relate are also words for parts of the mouth. So um, lashon is tongue, and safa is lip. Right. So and Lashon is language and Safa is language. So it does make sense that the lang- that the language would develop in such a way that the word for language is related to the word of the part of the mouth that produces the language. Um, if we wanted to take a long digression, which I don't suggest we do, we could look at all the commentaries in this page and see how they um, fall on the question of whether or not this is a physical or emotional psychological barrier, whether or not they're buying the Kool-Aid of that Midrash or not. But let's just look at it quickly because these questions are in the air. For those of you at least who have the Torah Chaim in front of you, look at um, 
Sforno bottom left. Lo ish dvarim anochi. Bilti murgal b'melechet lashon limudim v'sidra l'daber l'fnei melech. What is he lacking? Without any um, morgal, without any familiarity or regularity, in the craft of language, limudim, of like learned language, v'sidra, an order language, l'daber l'fnei melech. I'm not a prime, I'm not an orator, right? So Elon Sforno basically agrees with you. Sforno has says this has nothing to do with a like a pussy, um, you know, wound on his tongue. He's like, I am. I, I don't have the confidence to be an orator in front of the king. Look at Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, um, top second one from the right on the top, second one from the top on the right. Uh, as you probably remember, Rashbam does not have a line by line commentary on all of right. He kind of pops in and out. And we're not sure if that's because he didn't write a longer one or if the manuscripts just didn't um, last. But he says, I don't know Egyptian very well. Right. That's like Andrew Lloyd Webber's um, line for Joseph, you know, uh, and I don't speak Egyptian very well. This is about Moses. I don't know the language. In producing the words. Something wrong with my tongue, my mouth. Again, he rejects the Midrash. It's I speak Lashon HaKodesh. God, I speak, I speak your language well. And yeah, I grew up in the palace, but you know, I didn't, I never picked up diplomatic level language in producing those words well in that language. Um, um, right. When I was a child, Barakti, I fled. Now it's interesting, even fled as a child, he fled as a young adult big enough to slay someone, but Go with it. Misham, I fled from there. Viata, Ani Ben Shmoni. Now I'm 80 years old. You think I remember Egyptian? And there was one more I wanted to show you. Um, okay, so, and look at Ibn Ezra Hakatsar, which is two underneath Rashi. Lo Ishtvarim, I'm not a man of words. Lo Uchal Ledaber Tzachot. I can't speak fluidly. I can't speak in a way that it it, it comes out. Right. Well, so that could be partially physical, partially, partially psychological. None of these are the ones that we looked at so far are referencing the Midrash that, you know, every five year old kid learned in Hebrew school. So the, the rabbis in the Middle Ages are not necessarily buying that story as the only way of understanding what's problematic here in, in, um, in Moshe's speech. Look- I, sir, please, I, I don't have a virtual hand uh, in, in the entire story of Moshe until now. He's never spoken. There's his only actions, but he's never spoken. Yeah. Barry, what does it mean you don't have a virtual hand? Uh, when I go to participants, there's no. Um, I mean, there's, I, I, go, to go to reactions. Yes, yes, yes. It should be under reactions. Um, okay. Let's go back to Joel. And um, now let's look at the Rashi, who's going to deal with some of the stuff that we uh, were talking about. It's from Gamitmol. Gamitmol Vagomer. Shekol shiva yamim haya kodesh baruchu mifateh et Moshe bisne lelach bishlichuto. Okay. Did you, uh, maybe we're, we're looking at different texts. Do you have a word before shekol in your version? Oh, um, limdanu. Right, so it, this teaches us. Go ahead, and our footnote tells us it's from Vayikra Raba. Interesting, but it's not on it's on Shmot Raba. This midrash appears in Vayikra Raba in the commentary on Leviticus. Go ahead. 
This teaches us that um, a full that the seven days the Kodesh Baruch Hu, um, speaking to Moshe at the burning bush. Um, Lelech is a rabbinic way of saying lalechet. It's the infinitive okay. of to go. To, to go on his mission. Okay. And the, and the one word we kind of jumped over was mifateh. Anyone know what mifatot means in Hebrew? Pei. Does it come for the word pei? Uh, interesting. I never thought about that. Maybe. Um, the, the taf is built into the root. Um, it means to entice, to woo, to convince, um, to, um, to court, right? So it can have a romantic sexual overtone. And, um, and sometimes it means to beguile, right? So there are certain midrashim that describe that what the snake was doing to Eve was, was, was lifatot. Lif, lif and in the book, in, it's in Kitetse, um, ki mifate ish isha. It refers to a man, you know, um, you know, you know, no means no, and, and does yes mean yes? Uh, a man trying to convince a woman to be intimate. So here, there's no lurid connotations. It's Rashi saying that we this teaches us, and wasn't obvious to us, but according to Rashi, it's obvious from this midrash that for a full seven days, God was being mifate at Moshe. He was trying to convince Moshe to woo Moshe uh, at the bush to go on this mission. So this goes back to something we were saying before. How long has this interaction taken? It's taken us six verses. According to Rashi, what we learn from this verse is that this has been a seven-day wooing. How do we get seven days? This is good Midrashic math. Go ahead. Mitmol shilshom meaz dabircha hare shlosha. So yesterday, the day before yesterday, and since you've been talking, it's three days. So, so go back to something that Joanna said, the way Rashi is reading the Midrash is that this is in exact reverse chronological order, right? So whatever, um, uh, so, so there was yesterday at Mole, Shilshon, the day before yesterday, and even from we began speaking by inference is, and the day before that, okay, that's three. The Shlosha Gamin. And I'm guessing Gamin is the plural of Gam. Right. So, if you look at the words closely, we kind of jumped over it as we were reading it the first time. We have lo ish tvari manochi. I'm not a man of words. Gam mitmol, gam mishoshon, gam me'az dabercha. We have three gams, three gamim. What is ribuim him? Ribuim him. They are multiplied or something. Right. So it's a it's a technical midrashic term. There are some words that are that are understood to be. Um, um, Miutim that they 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 detract or they take away from meaning, and some are considered a ribui that they add. And so Rashi is saying that each of these gums adds a day, right? So we have gam mitmol that's yesterday plus a day, gam yishoshom that's the day before yesterday plus a day that's four. There's gam that's the day we started talking plus another day that gives us six. Okay, harishisha that's six. And he was standing there on the seventh day, as it says, Lo Zot Od. He was standing there on the seventh day when he said this to him. Oh. Because in order to reference yesterday, there has to be a today. So the today is the seventh day until we get to Shlach. 
Okay, so look ahead, um, depending on what book you're in, either the next page, flip the page in the Torah Chaim, or verse 13, if you're in a different Chumash, we'll get to this verse slowly next week, probably, or the week after that. Finally, the encounter ends where God says, uh, or sorry, where Moshe says, Vayomer bi Adoni, who got, um, he once again says, if, if, if it pleases God, here's, new, here's your other, another B, Rick, Shlachna bi Okay, send whoever you want to send. We'll look at that verse closely uh, later on. But according to Rashi, according to Midrash, that ends the encounter. And all that is happening on the seventh day. So first, we've got weirdo math. And then we've got pulling something out of gamim that is not obvious. And then we have the question, which Rashi is about to get to. So what? Why is it significant for us to know that this was not a slow encounter? It was a long encounter. In, in case you have not read ahead the Rashi, let's pause here. If Rashi ended his comment here, and we're supposed to believe that this verse and the way the words are constructed suggests a long seven-day encounter. It tells us what? What's the sermon? Anyone? What does that bring us? Oh, I didn't see the hands up. Rebecca and then Joanna? Um, I think it would, I think uh, if I were God, I'd be annoyed at this point. That's what it would bring me to. That's what I would learn from it. Interesting. So, so the, the thrust of the Midrash would be to suggest that what God thought was going to be a simple question answer has turned into an extended ordeal. It's like trying to convince someone to take the shul presidency. New no, say yes already. <laughs> uh, Joanna. It's interesting because Rebecca's looking at it from God's perspective and I'm looking at it from Moshe's perspective. And my response is like developing a relationship with God takes time. Like you know, if it took Moshe seven days to initiate, to just initiate, not even fully develop, initiate this relationship with God, you know, how much more so for us today that we have to work at cultivating our relationship with God. Beautiful. And, and we know that the, that seven is an iconic number. It's, it's, it's a creation number. So, so if it took, if it took God seven days to create the world and now it takes God seven days to create a Moshe, right. Or Moshe seven days to create the, the sense of self that that will allow him to give birth to to the Jewish world, right? So there's also something iconic about that number seven, um, and suggesting that it's it's a slow cook, right? This is not a what's that? You know, it's it's a it's a slow cooker, not an instapot. Uh, Barry, your hand was up, so well done to find the hand up, but then it went down. Are you still there? Okay. Um, you, you you just said it that uh, ah. the, the whole Abrae sheet was was seven days. Uh, new. What's with Moshe? Right. Right, knew what's with Moshe, or it it links numerically that scene to this scene, right? Midrashically, we're saying this is creation 2.0, right? Because this is the 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 this is the the Big Bang that's going to produce the birth of the Jewish people. Right? Um, okay, so Rashi answers his own like we we presumed to answer the question that Rashi is 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 laying out there. Why does this take so long? Rashi gives his own answer, which is very different than what we just said, which is fine. But let's hear Norman Rachel first. I am wondering if the fact that it took a week to persuade Moshe to do this means that God decided for some reason he wasn't simply going to order it. Because God could have ordered him to do this and presumably he would have complied with the mitzvah. Um, But instead he persuades him to do this um, which turns out to be not so easy or efficient. Very interesting. It's very interesting to, to raise up persuasion as opposed to compulsion. 
that, that that's actually a really nice message to pull out of this. Um, although the first thing that Rashi is going to say next is that, you know, God makes, seems to make Moshe an offer he can't refuse. But uh, go ahead, Renee. Also, I think Moshe had an issue with the fact that he was being the one that was, that Hashem was wanting him to do the talking when Aaron was older. You know, he didn't want to make, he didn't want to shame his brother. Good. So, so that's a perfect segue. So Joel, you're still on the block. Adshachara. Um, bo until he got mad at, I guess God got mad at Moshe. Mm-hmm. love, And he took it upon himself. Meaning, so this interaction lasted until God got upset, at which point Moshe took it upon himself, right? And so again, we'll, we, we, we will get there. The next verse is God's response to that. And the verse after that is Moshe saying, fine, I'll do it. So is this just God being extra persuasive or, persu- or, or compulsion that is just being framed as persuasion? Okay. But now because, you're going Gdula al Aharon Achiv. That's what Rene just said. He didn't want to um, appear bigger than his than his brother Aaron. Right, and the Kol Zeh here is saying the delay, and, and this entire delay. So it's it's really saying the delay is is Moshe's initiation, not God's. God would have wanted the encounter to be over very, over very quickly, and all of this is because Moshe was reticent um, to say yes, because as soon as he say yes. He leapfrogs his brother. Okay. Shaya Gadol Hemano. Hemenu is another way of saying Mimenu. In okay. So he's older than him. Vinavihaya. And he was already a prophet. Okay. And how do we know he's and how do we know he's older than him? Look at um one second, I have the citation right here. Um one second, folks. Yeah, so look ahead, chapter 7, verse 7. Everyone has that, so I didn't bring it up in Safari because it's in the Shemot. We actually have that explicitly. We did, we, 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 the reader, we know it, but the reader doesn't know it explicitly yet. Look at chapter 7, verse 7 of Exodus. This is in the middle of the, of the, uh, uh, of the Exodus story. Moses was 80 years. And Aaron was three and 80 years when I spoke to Pharaoh. So Moshe knows that the older gets kavod. This is an interesting midrashic winking back to all of the themes of Breshit about whether the older is going to serve the younger or the younger is going to serve the older. And Moshe has kavod, as it were, for his older brother. And he's older than him. And not only that, haya. and Aaron's not just an older brother. It's one thing, the older brother, but not every older brother is a prophet, but he's a prophet. How do we know he's a prophet? Now we've got a series of proof texts. Let's just pause here. Norm and Rachel, do you have something to say on that so far? I understand that so far, but I have an alternate understanding of the eight days um, that, or the seven days that Moshe takes to be persuaded, which is not so much that um, he wants to honor his older brother, but that it takes seven days to persuade him to become the leader of the people. And in Vayikra, there's going to be a seven-day period when he's trying to act as high priest until he's convinced that he just it, this isn't for him. And it, it takes seven days, and it's only on the eighth day that he calls for his brother and his brother's sons to take on 
Kohanic leadership. That's great. That's a great association. Wonderful. Uh, Barry? You're still muted, Barry. There. Okay. Um, I, I was going to say this later, but uh, it's appropriate now. Uh, Moshe, according to the Midrash here, uh, is, is claiming that he, Moshe, knows who's a prophet, who's not a prophet. Uh, what, what Moshe is not aware of, and we are aware, uh, and Rashi's brought out earlier when Moshe was born, uh, there was a great light um, uh, happening. And, and all the all the sequences uh, that occurred of how uh, he was saved and put in the in the ark and he was uh, brought into the palace and the da 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 the, the whole backstory of who Moshe is uh, is uh, uniquely created by God and uh, so who was Moshe to claim who's the prophet? Mm. Good. And so now Rashi says, well, it's one thing to say that Aaron's bigger than Moshe because it says that in the pshat. But who's to say that Aaron is a Navi? We know later on that Aaron is a Kohen, but a Kohen is not the same as a Navi. So in order for Moshe to be concerned that he's going to usurp the rightful place of Aaron to do this job, we need to have some sense that Aaron would have been a legitimate choice. Is Aaron Navi? Okay, so like kind of get ready for this. This is a, this is a, a bit of a roller coaster, but go with it. Go ahead, Joel. Shinamar. Okay, does yours start with hello? Because mine's in brackets. Uh, it's probably quoting um, an earlier part of the verse. I'm actually going to bring up the full verse in Safaria. One second. Um, so hello is probably a little bit earlier. One second. You had me at hello. Haha. <laughs> okay. So we have a Shin Mar. Um, as it says, and if you look at the end of the quotation, it says Shin Aleph, Shmuel Aleph, the first book of Samuel, chapter two, verse 27. But let's go back to verse 25. So this is a, um, a, an exchange between Elkanah uh, and Eli, the priest. Um, verse 25, if one person sins against another person, uh, God might pardon that. But if the person sins against God, me at Palel, lo, um, can uh, who could possibly pray on his, on his behalf? Well, we look at this early biblical use of the word lehi palel, showing us that the origin does not initially mean pray; it means to to um, uh, for the person to be judged properly. It turns into prayer, but it's not what it originally meant. Palal means to judge, not to pray. The avihem; they did not listen to their father. Ki God decided that they should die. If we go do a Tanakh class, I'll give you greater context for the scene. The young Samuel grew and got bigger, but Tov, and he had esteem. Gami Maranai, Gami Marashim, great esteem for um, uh, with people and with God. And a man of God is going to be Elkanah comes to Eli the priest. Vayomrelava said to him, Ko Amar Adonai. This is what God has said. Haniglo nigleti el beit avicha. Um, did I not reveal myself to the house of your father? This is being addressed to Eli. Eli is a Kohen. Biotam b'mitraim levet paro. While they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house. So, so the part that needs to be extracted from this is that um, Elkanah, a man of God, says to Eli, 
that God has said, I, God, revealed myself to your father's household. And so, uh, does Rashi say this explicitly? We have to pull it out. Ah, so now, so now just read the next two words, Joel, of the commentary. Hello, Harona Chicha, Viva Gomer, Eli Hakohen. Oh, Higalani Galti et El Beit Avicha, Bahayotamim Shrishaim, Hu Aharon. Hu Aharon, right? So Rashi says this verse about an unnamed revelation by God to someone in Egypt, it could not have been to Moshe. Why could not have been to Moshe? Because Moshe is not the person referred to as Beit Avicha to Eli, because Moshe was not a Kohen. Moshe was not a priest. The Kohen, the priests were descendants of Aharon. So if Eli is being told that God revealed God's self to one of his descendants, it has to be Aaron, because Aaron is the, is the ancestor of all the priests. The Chain be a Chezkel. Can we keep reading? Yeah. Okay, so this is the 20th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, and I'm pulling it up right here. Um, um, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, here. Verse 5. Say to them, This is what God has said. On the day that I chose Israel, the Asai idea, I lifted up my hand, Lazera Beit Yaakov, to the seed of the house of Jacob, the Ivadalahem Be'eretz Mitzrayim. I revealed myself, I made my, myself known to them in the land of Egypt. The Asai Adilahem, I raised up my hand to them, Lemor saying, Ani Anailahem, I am the Lord your God. So this is a verse in Ezekiel referring to some revelatory moment in the book of, in the, in the moments they were in Egypt without our knowing specifically what it refers to. You can't find a reference to this in the book of Shemot. Look what Rashi says on it. So he's basically just quoting two verses later. So this continues Ezekiel's prophecy. Jump to verse 7. I said to them, she could say, everyone get rid of all the things that are detestable to the eyes. Get rid of the gods of Egypt that you had become accustomed to. Don't let yourself be defiled by them. So we have three verses in Ezekiel where Ezekiel is remembering or recalling that God made a revelation in Egypt to the Israelites, basically saying, you're going to be coming out soon uh, and start detaching yourself from the Egyptian gods and detestable things you become accustomed to. And about that, Rashi says, Ota. Um, Which means that prophecy too, it was given to Aaron. So what's Rashi done here? Rashi has said, okay, so we've got a long conversation between Moshe and God. Why? Why would Moshe hesitate? Moshe hesitated out of concern for Aaron. Why would he have concern for Aaron? First of all, he's older than him, but not only is he older than him, he's also a prophet, meaning he could have gotten the job, right? Aaron could have gone, gone for the job and gotten it. And how do we know he's a prophet? We don't know he's a prophet, right? We know that Miriam is a prophetess, right? We, that, that, that appears later on, uh, Miriam Hanaviah, but we don't know that Aaron's a prophet. We have to construct from other sources this notion that um, Aaron got direct revelation, and we have one from the book of Samuel, 
which is a little bit clearer, and one from the book of Ezekiel, which is very vague. And since we have no one to attribute that prophecy to, we get it to Aaron, which means that Moshe had legitimate reason to, 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 to um, delay saying yes, lest he jump over the primogeniture of Aaron's being the more worthy person to take this job. We could still pull back and say, why? Like, what's, what is the reason for this Rashi comment and this Midrash that produces this? Um, is this setting up um, that Moshe was Anav Mikol Adam, the most humble of all people? Does it help us understand that not only did the person who ended up taking the job not initially want it because he didn't feel he was confident or physically able to do it, but he thought that someone in his own family would have been would have done the job better or at least was more worthy to do it. It it adds many adds texture to the scene when Moshe is going to be standing next to Aaron in front of Pharaoh, because now we have midrashically the notion that Moshe is thinking to himself, maybe it should have been you. Right? It really, like, why am I the younger brother taking on this task? And we're, and we're learning that from Etmol, Shoshom, Umeaz, and Gam, Gam, Gam. Um, okay, so speaking of Gam, 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 um, I'm, I'm realizing that we are Gam, Gam, Gam over time. It's 9.31, so let's pause here. And next time, we'll get Rashi's understanding of what Kfad Peh is. As we discussed, there are many possibilities. Was it a physical um, in, uh, impediment or was it emotional, psychological impediment? You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.